0: The text for Pastor John's meditation this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, and I'll be reading verses 14 through 22. And when the hour came, Jesus sat at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I shall not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after supper, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. I don't think
1: there are any other parts of the Gospels that move me more than the scene of Gethsemane because they seem to put flesh and blood on one of my favorite verses in the Bible, which closes with the phrase, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am often more moved by the Last Supper in Gethsemane than I am by Calvary. I hope that's not bad of me, but when I see the conscious decision of the Lord to move into Calvary with me on his heart, I am very deeply moved. I want to make a connection for you this morning that enlarges that personal moving dimension of this scene into a a worldwide perspective. And I want to do this by going back and taking two or three minutes to recap one of last week's points. You remember last week our focus was on Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And I tried to make plain from Scripture that when we pray the request, Father, let your kingdom come. Make make it come. We ought to have two things in our minds, a personal one and a, a global one. The personal one. I supported from Matthew 633, which comes very soon after the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus said to the disciples that they should seek the kingdom of God first, and then all these other little things like what you eat and what you drink will be added to you. Now, I think seeking the kingdom must mean seeking to bring your life under the kingly rule of God now. Seeking to have a personal experience of the lordship of God over the world so that you don't worry about anything because he's king. He provides, he protects, he guides, and therefore you can relax in life because he's he's now reigning over the world secretly and in your life in a very vibrant and alive way. That's the personal dimension. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. You mean banish all those other allegiances out of my heart. You rule in me alone and conquer all my anxieties and be my king and my guide and my protector and my provider. Now, real. That's the personal side. But we argued that there's a global dimension to this prayer, thy kingdom come. And the way I supported that was to go to today's text, which was Luke 22 and looked at verse 18 where Jesus says from now on, I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Well, there he's picturing it, not here, not experienced. It's coming. Someday I'll be able to to drink this again someday in the kingdom. So here is a meaning for the coming of the kingdom, which is different from this personal, private experience of God's lordship. Here is a picture of one day a historical event with the king coming on the clouds, with his holy angels in flaming fire, gathering his ransomed elect from all the corners of the earth, establishing his throne here and reigning openly and unopposed in glory. That's what Jesus has in mind when he says, when that comes, I'll sit at table with you again and We'll drink the fruit of the vine and we'll eat the bread of the Passover new and fresh in the kingdom. So when you pray, thy kingdom come, you don't just mean reign in my life now to help me conquer sin and all these other allegiances that compete for my affections. You mean wrap up history, do what you need to do to make all the precedents for the coming of the kingdom past history. Work sovereignly through the church so that she finishes her task and you come. But remember last week we asked the question, well, do we know what we're really praying for? What's this kingdom like? And we took our eyes off the present, cast them into the future of the book of Revelation in chapter five, verse nine, which Steve read earlier. And we saw a picture of the kingdom that was granted To us, the twenty-four elders, the four beasts, the beings of heaven, fall on their face before the Lamb. And they cry out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to take the scroll, the scroll of history, open it up and finish the plan. Because he was slain, and by his blood has ransomed men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, to be a priest for him and a kingdom, and they shall reign on earth. So the kingdom that we're anticipating at the end is a kingdom of people made up of ransomed from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So when you pray, thy kingdom come, you're praying a missionary prayer. You're praying that God would so work in the church and in the world that he would wrap it up. That the great commission would be completed, that the elect would be gathered in from the four winds and that all the ransomed would be saved. And then the king will come and his kingdom will be established. Now, let's look at Luke 22 here and notice something. The kingdom is very much on Jesus heart and mind as he enters this last hour. it's, It's just 12 hours until he's going to be nailed on that cross. He sees it coming and he refers to the kingdom in verse 16, verse 18, verse 29, verse 30. It's very much this future coming, great, wonderful, sovereign kingdom when he will reign over this world with no opponents anymore. That's very much on his heart. And I want you to see something in verses 15 and 16. So let's read these. Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I shall not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, what did Jesus mean by saying that the Passover would be fulfilled in the kingdom of God? I thought the Passover was fulfilled at Calvary. You you remember what the Passover is. The Passover was the Jewish celebration of the time when God uh, brought a decisive judgment upon Egypt. He put to death by the angel of death every firstborn son. But he made a way of escape for all those people. If they would sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, put it on the door and cover themselves with it, as it were, he would pass over them and nobody would be killed. And every year the Jews celebrated this past deliverance and the Jews knew that it had future portent and so it was a a two-directional celebration, looking back with gratitude, looking forward to the day when Messiah would come and, and deliver them. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that Jesus is our Passover lamb and that when he was slain, the Passover lamb was slain and that therefore anybody... And this is the beauty of the new covenant, which is offered to everybody in this room. Anybody who spiritually looks to Jesus Christ, bleeding, dying for sin, and takes that blood and puts it over the the door of your life and says, That's my hope. I don't hope in money. I don't hope in my job and my success. I don't hope in marriage. I don't hope in strength. I don't hope in looks. I don't hope in sex. I don't hope in anything but God and the blood of Jesus over my life, delivering me from past, present, future sins and opening indescribable hope to me. Anybody who says that will be passed over in the judgment day and ushered into deliverance and salvation. So I thought it was all fulfilled right there at Calvary, right? Calvary is Passover, fulfilled. But Jesus says right here, that uh, the, the Passover will be fulfilled in the kingdom when it comes. I think the key to understanding in what sense the Passover is fulfilled in the coming kingdom comes from that same wonderful text from Revelation chapter 5. Worthy art thou to take the scroll and to open its seals, for thou wast slain. As our Passover lamb and by thy blood didst ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And they shall be a kingdom and shall reign on earth. So you see it all coming together, don't you? The Passover is not. Finished yet. It isn't fulfilled. The end for which the Lamb was slain is an un- incomplete. Namely, that the ransomed from every tribe and tongue and people and nation would be gathered into one. And there are so many of those peoples yet unreached. And therefore, the purpose for which the Passover Lamb was slain is yet outstanding. It will only be complete when the kingdom comes. And I hope that as we participate in this table this morning, it's a Passover meal. We've borrowed it from the Jews and filled it with new meaning. And now I hope another dimension of meaning can be added to your meditation during this meal. And that what you'll think is this. He not only died for my sins personally so that I can take him into me and experience him feeding me with his blood and his body. As the tokens of my redemption, but he also in that event ransomed people from God from every tongue and tribe and nation and that we ought to look forward with immense anticipation to the day when all those people will surround the throne on which is the lamb or better yet the image which you see down in verses 29 and 30 of this chapter There's going to be set up in that kingdom a table. I mean, picture it. It's going to be miles long. Or maybe it'll be round. And Jesus is going to be at the head of the table like Tom prayed. And I don't know whether it's ever hit you that Jesus is fasting right now. At least he's fasting from the Passover. He said, I'm never going to eat this again until that meal. I'm not going to drink wine again until that meal. So in heaven today, he abstains from the Passover. He does not celebrate. He fasts from the Passover. And he tells us to eat in remembrance and in anticipation. Let's pray and prepare our hearts to do that with him. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, human love might perchance die for a good man. But you commend your love to us in that while we were yet sinners, enemies, weak, ungodly, Christ gave himself for us. We praise you for your love. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your resolute commitment to die on our behalf. Amen.